You're listening to a podcast from York City Church. If you like what you hear and you'd like to find out more, please visit our website at www.yorkcitychurch.org.uk. Um, about this time yesterday, I was wondering whether I would be here this morning. I had my second AstraZeneca jab. And uh, I was thinking if the first one is anything to go by, I might be feeling like I've been run over by a traction engine this morning. Um, thankfully, it was okay so far, um, but if I suddenly start breaking out in sweats halfway through the sermon, um, I, I honestly don't have a substance abuse issue. Um, it will probably be the AstraZeneca jab working its magic somewhere, but hopefully, I'm trusting now 24 hours or so into it that, um, you know, that, that I'm through uh, whatever side effects there was going to be. Um, Josh, is that, is keynote open there? Just, can you check while I... Okay. There we go. Found it. Ah, as if by magic. Beautiful. So, um, last week, we were listening to Paul, the author of the letter to the Philippians, a church in a Roman colony in Philippi, expressing his joy and his gratitude that the gospel was going from strength to strength, uh, despite his imprisonment, despite his being chained to a Roman centurion, the gospel was, was moving forward. In fact, perhaps even as a result of his imprisonment, the gospel was advancing. Uh, and I encouraged you last week to seek after the same perspective that Paul expressed, uh, which was that his life was so thoroughly absorbed in and given definition by Jesus Christ that even his imprisonment, even the sort of restriction of his freedoms as an apostle, if you like, were regarded as part of a life that is lived in Christ Jesus, that Paul didn't really see himself as doing stuff for Jesus, but he was in Christ Jesus. That was the realm in which he existed. And so his chains are in Christ Jesus, and God is using his chains even to advance the gospel. And so he rejoices, and well, no wonder, because if you're in Christ Jesus, then you understand that everything is framed by and given definition by Christ Jesus. And so this week, we're going to pick up where he left off. And where he left off was rejoicing. And so it's no surprise as we flick on to the next slide. Paul says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now... As always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, sometimes in Paul's letters, in, in English, it all falls quite nicely, and there's punctuation and all the rest of it. Uh, but in Greek, this is one rather large, long, complex sentence. And so if you read a couple of different translations of this verse in different Bible translations, you'll discover that there are differences and there's different places that punctuation is placed and things like that. So let me try and summarize what's going on. If we can give a, an overview of what Paul is saying in these, opening, in these verses this morning. He celebrated the fact that the gospel's advancing on account of his imprisonment, but he's also now 
in the verses that I've just read, finding joy in the anticipation that when he's brought to trial before the emperor, which is where he's heading, he's not just in prison, he's awaiting trial, by the way, when he's brought before the emperor, that he would be able to boldly testify to Jesus and therefore have no cause for being ashamed. Now Paul's thinking, I'm going to get to name Jesus before Caesar. Now Paul seems to be anticipating his release, ultimately. Seems to be. But he also apparently knows that the outcome of this trial could go one of two ways. He's anticipating being released, but he knows, well, I, I, I might be released, but I might also be sentenced to death. Even so... Paul is confident that through the prayers of the church, he will be supplied with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So that whatever the outcome of the trial might be, life or death, Christ will be magnified through his bold witness. In some senses, you could say whether Paul is released or whether he is sentenced to death, it almost seems irrelevant because the whole thing for Paul, is going to end in his deliverance one way or another. The word deliverance that the, most of the, the English Bible translations use here, it can mean salvation, it can mean vindication. And so Paul seems to think, well, look, if I stand trial before Caesar and he says, you're released, then fantastic, that's deliverance for me. And I continue on preaching and I continue on planting churches, preaching the gospel. But if he says, you're for it, then I know that that will actually work out as deliverance for me because I'll enter into my reward. I will be with Christ and that is great and that is good. It will be salvation and deliverance one way or another. The whole affair will ultimately result in salvation, in redemption, in deliverance, in vindication. Because ultimately, Paul's life is not in Paul's hands, but it's in God's hands. And whether released, as he hopes and even anticipates, or killed, he knows this will be deliverance for me, one way or the other. Now, you might, be, you might sit there and think, well, isn't this all just some kind of case, whatever will be, will be but transposed into a Christian key and sung in church. That, that was just off the top of my head, by the way. <laughs> the second half. No, no, don't applaud, please, really. <laughs> You'll just encourage me, Paul. I really don't think it is. I really don't think it is. This is not Paul just being fatalistic. Well, you know, whatever, whatever. Keep calm and carry on in a Christian sense. Does Paul think that the outcome of his impending trial is beyond his control? Absolutely. Paul doesn't think there's anything that he can do personally to swing the outcome. Does he think that his faithfulness to Jesus can somehow influence the outcome of the trial? Absolutely not. Paul expects that through the church's prayers and through the Spirit, poured out in his life, that he can boldly testify to Jesus 
but he doesn't think that somehow obedience, boldness, faithfulness is some kind of bargaining chip that he can wave before God and say, look, 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 I've done what you said, now you've got to let me go, haven't you? Paul doesn't think like that. But he does believe that he gets a choice about how he responds under duress, in trials. He knows he can't control it. He can't manipulate the outcome. He can't somehow sway Caesar's decision through his faithfulness, through his boldness. He can proclaim Jesus, but he knows that that won't change things, but he gets to choose for Jesus. He gets to choose for faithfulness, boldness, obedience. And that's something beautiful and wonderful and glorious. You see, here's the thing, friends. None of us can manipulate the outcome ultimately in our lives. Many of us try Many of us try and fail and learn from the burn and think that we've learned. And then again, later on down the line, something happens and we try and control the outcome. And we, and we, again, we realize, gosh. And it seems sometimes that the more and more you walk through life as a Christian, the more and more you're learning, I'm not in control of the outcome. Now, I get to choose to be faithful in my responses. I get to choose the fear of God. I get to choose walking with him. But I don't get to choose somehow, this is how it will all end up. We get like Paul, to choose to magnify Jesus, whatever the outcome may be. Through good, through bad, through really ugly. Let me give you an illustration from a Christian missionary of this kind of freedom to glorify, magnify Jesus, no matter what happens. Henry Martin was born in England in February 1781. And he died in India on August the 28th, 1812, in his early 30s. Before he died, Henry Martin had also died to hopes of a happy life with Lydia Grenfell, the woman he dearly loved and hoped to marry one day. Lydia's mother refused to grant her permission to move to India to be with Henry and to get married. And Henry died in India, even though he hoped to maybe return to England someday and be married to Lydia. Now, toward the end, toward the very end of his life, Henry Martin wrote these words. They've become quite famous. Whether life or death be mine, Henry wrote, may Christ be magnified in me. If he has work for me to do, I cannot die. Whether life or death be mine, May Christ be magnified in me. If he has work for me to do, I cannot die. He can't control the outcome. 
Am I in charge of whether I live or die? No, I'm not. But if he has work for me to do, if there is a purpose to my life still yet to be unfolded, then I cannot die. Or or to put it in the words of a preacher I once heard, you are immortal until your life's work is over. Hallelujah! So live free and bold and courageously as a believer in Christ Jesus, because while he has work for you to do, you cannot die. And if you die, your work's life is over, and you're with him. Hallelujah! You can't control the outcome but you can do something about how you respond to Jesus in your life. Friends, it is utterly, utterly, miserably, horrifically tragic when Christian life becomes a a roller coaster journey of being happy with God because everything is going really swimmingly or really cross with God because things aren't going the way that I hoped that they would go. If we choose to either love God because everything's going my way or be cross with God because he's put the brakes on what I wanted, then we will live a miserable, unfruitful Christian life. And we must hear from Paul and from the witness of Christian martyrs and missionaries that Christ is the treasure above all treasures and that we can't control the outcome, but we can choose to love and honour and glorify Christ in our bodies. That it is actually a tangible, real possibility that even facing down death, we can say, glory be to Jesus. And as Paul says in another letter, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ Jesus, then we are more to be pitied than any other people. Whether life or death be mine, may Christ be magnified in me. If he has work for me to do, I cannot die. I think that Henry Martin had probably been meditating on Philippians chapter 1. Let's read some more. These are Paul's famous words now, very well known in Paul's writings. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Look, this expands on what he means. To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. If he has work for me to do, I cannot die. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. (laughs) But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. These are famous words of Paul's. To live is Christ, to die is gain. And Paul says that he's torn between these two things, between life and death. Now, the... NIV Bible has chosen to translate this, oh, well, I don't know which to choose, as if Paul could really actually choose between life or death here. What he's talking about is his preference, where his heart leans towards. Do I let my heart lean towards, yes, okay, I'm going to get to be with Jesus and I'll see him and that's glory, or is it I'm going to have fruitful labor if I remain in the body? This is a difficult choice. This is a tearing in my heart. Because in both senses, there are good things going on here. This is the kind of sense of what Paul is saying. My desire, he says, is to depart and be with Christ, 
for that is far better. Do you believe that? Is that true for you? To depart, to be with Christ, is far better. Better than what? Better than sex. Better than an extension. Better than early retirement. Better than promotion. Better than a relationship. Better than a degree. Better than a really good holiday next year. Better than getting lashed up with my mates. Better than anything. Better than religion. Hallelujah. (laughs) Paul was convinced. Better. Better than anything. To depart and be with Christ. Wow. It's the goal. It's the reward. He knows that if he dies, which is a very real possibility, then his race is run. He can enter into his reward. My own sense personally, the wrestle in my own heart and life, and the wrestle that I perceive amongst Christians who I'm contemporary with, you know, with, with you all and with other Christians and leaders that I know, is that the sense of that the fragile nature of life and the hope of eternal bliss and glory in the vision of God has somehow faded from the Christian vocabulary and expectation. The Christian life and walk has become, in the 21st century, as in the latter half of the 20th century, the Christian hope has become a better life for now, for today. Your best life now. Prosperity, provision, money, stuff, career. God is on my side, boosting me, superpowering me, like the power-up of all power-ups, enabling me to be the, the glorious, superpowered me that I always hoped to be, couldn't do in my own strength, of course, because I'm humble. <laughs> and Paul has a vision that's completely other than that. And scripture has, a, scripture has a vision that is other. God has a vision that is other than that. Your highest goal and aim is to see God. That's where you're heading. That's where the whole cosmos is heading. You know, there's been stuff, hasn't there, this last week about the oldest star, the stars that now the light was finding the light that is the closest thing to the beginning of the universe billions and billions and billions of years ago. You think, yes, wonderful, but it's all going, never mind where it all came from in that sense, it's all going to God. Created by God and in Christ redeemed and heading back to him. It's all headed somewhere, and you're headed there too. Your destiny is to, to spend eternal bliss in the presence of God, eternally enthralled by his beauty and his presence. Every good, glorious, rapturous, ecstatic experience in the Christian life, in the present, it is just, it's just an hors d'oeuvre. It's just a taster. It's like a that first, mmm, And that's all it is. It's glorious. But think of the glory that is to be revealed. This is where we're heading, friends. Death is gain for the believer. Not just for Paul. For you. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Now let's expand a little bit on what Paul means to live is Christ. 
I think it's important to notice what Paul is thinking about in terms of to die is Christ, great, to live is gain. I don't, sorry, to die is gain, to live is Christ. What does he mean? Well, Paul's not thinking about being acquitted, getting out of jail, perhaps suing Rome for defamation of character, retiring early, buying a yacht, sailing around the Mediterranean and filling his Insta feed with snapshots of sunsets and beaches and pina coladas. I don't think that's what Paul's thinking about in terms of, well, to, to live is, well, hooray. He says, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Let's read a bit more. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through me, through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Why would Paul, knowing that death is his gain, that death is reward, the vision of Christ, entering into glory, why would he then say, well, I'm actually convinced that I'm probably going to stick around now and it's going to be fruitful labor for me? Well, what, what's happened? If it's gain for him to die, why in his heart does he say, it's you, fruitful labor? Has he changed his mind? Is he just a bit confused? Well, here's what I think is happening. Paul has in mind the church. He's got in mind the Philippians. He tells them, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Now remember, he's just told them that it's gain for him and that it's better, it's his preference to die and be with Christ because that's better but it's more necessary for you. And this is super, super deep now, because we're getting really close to the very heartbeat of this letter and of Paul's whole outlook. In chapter 2, to kind of give a little preview of what's coming, Paul's going to say to the church, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And all of that is based on something called the Christ pattern. Philippians 2 contains this remarkable text where he describes Jesus as being in the in very nature God, not considering equality with God, something to be used for his advantage, but humbling himself being found in the form of a, of a man, and then as a man becoming a servant, a slave, and then submitting to death on a cross, and therefore being highly exalted. And Paul here is showing the Philippians that the Christ pattern is not just an idea out there, but is something that is being fleshed out in his own very life. Because we're seeing Paul say that he is preferring the needs of the church above his own preference. He would prefer to die and be with Christ because that is way better. But it's more necessary for you, church, that I remain. And so convinced of that, I'm going to stick around for your benefit. 
He's modelling for them what it looks like to act with humility by putting the needs of others before his own preferences. He's showing them what it looks like before he even gets there to begin to tell them that this is how you will need to live in your life together. The deal clincher is that it's for your progress and joy in the faith. I'm convinced it's better to depart, to be with Christ. It's gain for me, but for you. For you, not for me. Who cares about what I prefer? For you. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart from which leadership in the church of any fashion should flow. And it is the goal toward which leadership in the church should continually be striving. The heart is the Christ pattern that chooses to suspend personal preference, desires, interests, concerns, even thoroughly legitimate ones, even sometimes spiritual ones, for the sake of the other. I mean, you can't say that Paul's desire Paul's preference wasn't a godly, spiritual, theologically astute longing, but it's one that he chooses to defer and suspend for your sake. That's the heart of Christian leadership, deferring self for the sake of other. And when I say leadership, I mean everything from elders, apostles, pastors, Small group leaders, deacons, trustees, just you, yourself, because you have to lead yourself. (laughs) Husbands, wives, relationships. The Christ pattern is the heart of everything in leadership in the church. But it's also the goal of everything in leadership in churches because the goal is progress and joy in the faith. It's not just everybody being really miserable because nobody's getting what they want. It's everybody living for everyone else's higher joy and progress in God. That's what this whole caboodle is for. It's not sustaining and maintaining everybody in a middle-class, happy consumer life with a little bit of Christianity thrown in just so we can feel good. It's about joy, depth, celebration, wonder, exploration, astonishment and awe in God and progress, progress, going somewhere, moving towards somewhere, not staying still, not living with inertia, not being stuck in the 90s. Oh, do you remember the charismatic movement in the 90s? Not being stuck when I became a Christian, not being stuck with some mountaintop experience once and never being able to move on into more maturity. It's progress and joy in the faith. By giving ourselves to one another, suspending our desires, our preferences, because that's how God in Christ has redeemed us. And that's how things in Christ work. And unless we can see that, recognize that, and by the grace of God live in that, 
then there will always be this tension out of jointedness somehow in living as a Christian. Because the goal of being a Christian is not my personal wants and desires being fulfilled, but is your joy and progress in the faith. It's being gripped with the sense that to humble oneself and prefer the other is the way of God in Christ and therefore is the way of each of us in every circumstance of our lives. Excuse me. So, I want to confess. There are many, 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 many times where I feel about a hundred million billion miles away from this. Many times. Uh, to be honest, I, you read the stuff about these stars somewhere at the dawn of time, it's like, yeah, I probably feel about that far away sometimes from, from this. When we moved to York 13 and a half years ago, we did so on the back of nearly dying in a car wreck. And these verses in Philippians were really important for me, and actually so were the words of Henry Martin, to be honest with you, because we nearly did die. And so if, if he has work for me to do, then I cannot die, so I'm alive, so thus he must have work for me to do. So Henry Martin and Philippians 1, your joy and progress in the faith was the, was the sort of the kind of the one-two that energised and sparked our hearts as, as we moved to York. You know, we, we moved from the south coast, you know, where there's a beach, you know, where it's sunny and warm. It doesn't rain, it's not cold. We, you know, we, we moved north. To the north, we moved to the north. What a sacrifice. We did it for your joy and progress in the faith. And you will know, those of you that have been around long enough, you will know me well enough to know that I don't always get it right. You will know well enough that, gosh, yeah, if Rose smoked what he was selling all the time, then we'd all feel a bit better off. But I think, and I hope, and I trust, that the driver and the energy and the thing behind the thing that always is there is that all of this and who God has made me to be and called me to be is for your joy and progress in the faith. It's for you. It's for you. Now, you know, you might not always want to receive it as that, but I am what you've got. Eugene Peterson, who's a great hero of mine theologically and pastorally, Eugene Peterson once said that the church you want as a, as a pastor, can easily become the enemy of the church that you've got. It's true. Uh, sometimes as a pastor, you can have dreams of how a church is going to be. You think, yeah, it's going to be this, and whoa, 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 and you turn up on Sunday morning, and it's, you know, you, well, it's just the people that you always see. <laughs> it can be like, oh. And that vision and that drive are going to be, oh, they can become the enemy. But I want to suggest as well that the, the leaders that you want can become the enemy of the leaders you've got, whether small group leaders or elders or whatever else it might be, or worship leaders, or I don't know. 
the leaders you want or the church that you want can be the enemy of what you actually have got. And then before you know it, when those things do become the enemy of what you've got, well, the urge in life, in church life, is, is not to depart and be with Christ. It's just to depart. <laughs> if we had all written Philippians, it would have been, I long to depart, and that would have been it. Clatter, clatter, doors rattling, stomping of feet, chairs being pushed back under the table. To depart for a better small group, a better leader, a better group of whatever, students, youth, whatever else it might be, just a better church, or even maybe just no church at all. I desire to depart, because what I want is not what I've got here. But look, here's the thing. God has thrown us together, for better or for flipping worse, in this community to learn how to prefer one another's needs and to live for one another's joy and progress in the faith. He hasn't thrown us together to be just a cosy club where we never challenge one another and we are too cowardly to tell one another the truth about each other's lives. He's called us together to speak truth in love, to die to our preferences, to put down the things that we cling to and hope for and that we grumble and complain about behind closed doors or maybe not even behind closed doors but to learn to be Christ to one another, to follow the Christ pattern in our lives. This church, nor any other church, will ever be in this age a community of sinless perfection. Mark my words. It's been said before, if you find the perfect church and join it, it's no longer the perfect church. We're not the perfect church. I, I've been told that by church members, believe it or not. I think, well, give it a little while. <laughs> Won't take long. It's a community of sinners on our way to a glorious salvation, led by people who also happen to be sinners, but who also have been called to be for your joy and for your progress in the faith. And so by the exceedingly broad, deep, wide, high grace of God, it may be that we will become increasingly a community that bears witness to the reality of Christ with boldness. Even as Paul, faced with trial and potentially death, hoped to have boldness to proclaim and hoped to go on living in order to prioritise your joy and progress in the faith. So perhaps we, despite our flaws, and maybe even through them, will go on bearing witness to the reality of Jesus in our broken world. And thus we have no need to be ashamed, no need to be embarrassed, no need to slough off or play it down, the talk of church, but recognising his glory is doing something here. While he has work for us to do, City Church, we cannot die. While he has work for us as his community, as his people, we will remain. Whatever else happens, friends, whether life or death, whether suffering, whether trials, heartaches, 
delays, may Christ be magnified in us. May his name be exalted. And may we grow in grace and love and in this Christ pattern. To the glory of his name. Amen. We're going to end by collecting children and then the communion table is there. And it's quite nice at the moment, although it's not in the centre of the meeting as we like to do this, it feels somehow profound to have this witness to Jesus, this feeding on him right as we leave the building, that we are filled fresh with him and that we go and bear witness to him in the world as we walk out the door together. Let's eat and drink with faith today and let's go on building one another up and pursuing each other's joy and progress in the faith. Have a great week. See you next time. Oh, and don't forget there's a prayer meeting tonight here at 7.45. Okay? Excellent. Have a lovely afternoon.